This presentation is from UX Australia 2022, day two. Introverts, extroverts, and ambiverts. My name is Tim Yeo, and for the last 40 years, I've been an introvert. And this is what introversion feels like for me. Small talk is really, really hard for me. Now, I grew up in Singapore, and for anyone that's lived in Asia, or if you travel to Asia, you will probably agree. People back home, we don't talk to random strangers on the street, especially now. I mean, most of us will be reading a book or staring at our phones, you know, like normal people do. Instead, when I moved to Sydney, Australia about 10 years ago, and now I'm in Adelaide, a Western society, you could be in a queue, waiting for a bus, a tram or a train, even the toilet. Somehow, small talk just creeps up on you when you least expect it. So I had to learn how to talk about the weather, asking people how they are, what their plans are for the weekend. And in the beginning, when I asked people how I was, when people asked me how I was, I actually told them. And then I quickly realized that I was probably oversharing or they were not that interested. Because for me, too much social interaction is exhausting. Even if it's social interactions that are the ones I like, like with friends and family. So if this conference for me was in real life, you know, sometimes I need to step away and have some quiet time to recharge. Now, a few myths about introversion that I would like to dispel. Firstly, introversion is not about being shy. Being shy is a fear of social judgment. Even an extrovert can be shy. Rather, introversion and extroversion is about how we respond to stimulation, where stimulation could be social interactions, there could be noisy environments, or working in an open plan office, for example. So for an introvert to operate at their best, they require an environment that has less stimulation and vice versa for extroverts. Next, introversion and extroversion is not an absolute. How an introvert or an extrovert behaves depends on context, environment, and the people that are around you at that time. No one is truly an introvert or an extrovert all of the time. Now, in 2012, which is almost 10 years ago, Susan Cain gave a TED talk called The Power of Introverts. Susan inspired my talk. And she said that when she was growing up, she felt like her quiet, introverted way was wrong. Wrong. I mean, imagine that. Imagine growing up thinking that the way that you are is wrong. She also said that we live in a world where the extrovert ideal is desired. And as a design leader, this certainly feels true to me 
Because when people paint a picture of what they expect a leader to look like, it often looks something like this. A leader commands the center of attention. A leader is outgoing, is talkative, is dominant. A leader is able to deliver charismatic speeches at a drop of a hat, rallying large audiences. A leader is, in essence, an extrovert. Now, I am not saying that this is a bad way to lead. I'm saying that this is not the only way to lead, and certainly not all the time. Which begs the question, if we can accept that the world is the way that it is, a world that desires extroverts, then how can we, as introverted design leaders or as designers, operate successfully within it? If you are an introvert and you are happy in an individual contributor role, for example, now, you can probably get away by focusing on pushing pixels, but if you want to lead, especially people leadership, then your pixels are now people. And you can't push people the same way that you push pixels. It just wouldn't work. So how can you introverted design leaders succeed? Now, the answer to this question is not be more extroverted. That is not the answer. I know that because I've tried that, it's lame, and it has always felt unnatural. Instead, the techniques that I'll be sharing with you have allowed me to remain my true authentic self. Or in other words, how can we use our introverted ways? Not as a flaw, not as if there is something wrong with us, but to use our introverted ways as a superpower. Now, I want to take a moment to just acknowledge the world that we live in today. I've given this talk before, but those talks were given in a world where people could shake hands, stand less than two meters apart, and not be worried about contracting a deadly virus. The world that we're living in today has clearly changed. But people endure, and social dynamics persist. And even though the lucky ones among us find ourselves in good health and with a job, you know, those same expectations, those norms and projected beliefs of what the leader looks like, they still persist. And it persists through the tiny lenses of the webcams on our laptops, where we look our best on our waist up on video calls, through to the peers that we work with and the teams that we lead. You know, case in point, I started a new role in April 2020. And I started this role leading a team fully remote, leading a team in a company that was also newly remote. And then all of a sudden, during that time, remote was the new normal. At the time, I had never worked remote. I had never led a remote team. And so much of the leadership up until that point, I felt that I did it in person. It was peer to peer. It was face to face. 
being in the room to read the room. And then just like that, all of that was gone. So at the time I wondered, you know, in this new normal, will I, as an introverted leader, thrive or wilt? Will this new normal be a boom or bust for introverts like me? Will my techniques, my introverted superpowers, will they serve me while working in a fully remote world? The answer is yes, but with a few tweaks. And in this version of the talk, I'll be sharing with you new techniques that I've learned to lead as an introvert in a world that works remote. I'll be sharing these techniques around four areas. There'll be meetings, team selection, social media, and then lastly, networking. Everybody loves meetings, right? I mean, by far, my favorite type of meeting has to be one-on-ones. Now, as an introvert, you only have to focus on one person, not a group of people competing for attention. And more importantly, it is away from the public eye. And people are more open to being wrong when no one else is looking. And they are more open to tell you what they really think when nobody else is listening. And when working remote, one-on-ones are more important than ever. You know, bumping into somebody at the water cooler or in the pantry, it just does not happen anymore when you're working remote. And you can't just turn your chair around and ask somebody a quick question because you are no longer in the same room. So schedule your one-on-ones with peers and with leaders intentionally so that staying connected is not left to chance. And if you have a difficult subject to discuss, you can change your space. You know, before you could take a walk with someone or meet over lunch or coffee. Now, when you are working remote, that's not possible. But you can, you can still change your space. You can take a call in the garden or at the park or from your living room or on your phone. You get engaged on a more personal level, away from business and behaviors as usual. Changing where you have your meeting can change your behavior and the outcome of the meeting. Next, arrive at virtual meetings early. Now, in real life, meetings tend to happen in rooms, at tables, sitting side by side, or across from each other, right? Now, meetings in real life are bound by time and space. And sometimes you just can't get to your next meeting quick enough because your next meeting is three floors up in a different building. But not when you're working remotely. When remote, meetings happen virtually and your next meeting is just a click away. Literally a click away. And the one thing that remains true about meetings in real life and when working remote is that there will always be someone who is late. Always. Someone whose arrival you are waiting 
people so that the meeting can finally begin. You know, there's no point in starting the meeting, right? Because you are just going to have to repeat what you said all over again when the late person finally arrives. So why bother arriving early? Well, you arrive early because in this small pocket of time, you are alone with the punctual attendees. And not everyone actually arrives at the same time. So when being early gives you that precious one-on-one -on -one time to connect with the people that you work with, sometimes it's your team that's early. Other times it's your boss or your boss's boss. And you can practice small talk. You can ask them, you know, what they had for lunch? Is that a new shirt? How did your partner's interview go? And did the baby sleep through the night finally? These minutes between meetings are when people speak more freely, when there's nobody else there to listen. And it's an opportunity to connect at a more human level. Now, by arriving early, you get to ask people how they truly are, especially when you're working remote. And you will never have that opportunity if you arrive late. So arrive at virtual meetings early. And sometimes you find yourself in a meeting when somebody asks a question, and it's an interesting question. It's one that's caught your interest and your brain is on it, like the gears are really turning and you know your synapses are firing like pew, 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 pew. And the ideas are emerging, like you can see the shape of it, but it's cloudy, it's not fully formed. And then all of a sudden, somebody in that room calls out your name and says, uh, Tim, what do you think? And then all of a sudden, just so quickly, the blood just drains from your face and your mind is racing like you are you're not you're, you're just not ready you know that great idea they had in your head that's still forming it's gone and you don't even know what to say you make some excuses you make some nervous noises and then the attention passes over to somebody else and then you are kicking yourself for not speaking up now, this comes up a lot in conversations with introverts that I've coached. So how do you speak up before you are ready? Well, you need to give yourself permission to speak up, a license to speak up before you are ready. And that license, it can sound something like this. So you could say, this might sound really stupid, but I'm going to say it anyways. You probably know this already, but, or you can say, now what I'm about to say is not fully formed yet, but here's what I come, well, here's what's come to mind so far, okay? You could also say, I don't know if I fully believe what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna just say it anyways, okay? Now, by prefacing what you are about to say, it gives you permission and license to say it, even though you are not 100% ready or whether the idea is fully formed yet. Now, 
maybe you're not even close to being ready. Maybe you do need a little bit more time to process. But somehow, magically, the microphone has been passed to you, right? Now, in those situations, you could say, I need a little bit more time to process. I'm almost ready. Do you mind just moving on to somebody else for the moment and then come back to me next? Now, other times, you are ready with something to say. But something just holds you back. You know, you've never enjoyed having the spotlight on you. And then when everybody's gaze is on you, you just don't enjoy it. This is not something that you're comfortable with. But what you have to say is important and is meaningful. Now, in moments like these, you have to train yourself to raise your hand or somehow just signal that you have something to say before your brain kicks in and starts making excuses not to speak up. Now, doing this quickly shifts your mind from making excuses and not to speak up. It shifts it to focus on how you're going to say and what you're going to say. The important thing here is that you have to realize that you were invited to that meeting for a reason. It is important to speak up because no one else can actually read your mind. To participate in that meeting is to be a team player. So speak up to be a player on that team. And yes, some of us will tend towards perfection, will get lost in our thoughts. You just remember, you were invited to that meeting for a reason. Also, not everything has to be a meeting. You know, meetings are not always the best way to get things done. So on a practical level, meetings are synchronous. You know, when all these attendees have to assemble at a fixed time. Even if you are successful at Calendar Tetris and you find this one precious hour that's two weeks away, right? Where all these attendees are free. When you are meeting across time zones, it will always be too early or too late for somebody on that call if they even show up. Also, when people meet in a group, group meetings are rife with social dynamics. You know, politics, posturing, power. You know, some groups even encourage adversarial behavior, claiming that conflict leads to better decisions. Now, as introverts, we may not always get our turn with the microphone. And the louder voices on the call seem to say the most, but don't always have the most to say. Meeting this way isn't just bad for introverts, it's bad for most of us. So if not meetings, then what? Now, you could try using asynchronous communication methods to get things done. Now, you probably communicate async already, if you write emails, Slack messages, or blog posts. Now, here's a few other things that you can do, especially for introverts. Instead of a 15-minute monologue during a meeting where you present your point of view, why not 
record a video of yourself presenting so that people can watch it in their own time. Now, I will admit, you will cringe the first few times you re-watch a video of yourself, and it may take a few tries before you get a good take. But as an introvert, you are not put on the spot to speak or interrupted and lose your train of thought. You have all the time, all the time to reflect and then deliver a thoughtful, polished presentation. Also, re-watching a video of yourself is actually a good way to get better at public speaking. You know that initial discomfort of watching yourself, that feeling, it will pass. And then you will start to notice those little ticks and habits that you have when you speak. Like when you say, um, or ah, uh, like, like all the time. And then what you notice in these videos, you can then fix, iterate, and then improve. Next, not every Slack message warrants an immediate response. When you're working remote, communication through digital channels has increased exponentially. You know, people's inboxes are lit up like a Christmas tree with unread messages. Also, your team is not just working. You know, they're dealing with kids who are at home, schooled, or just simply feeling cooped up the same four walls for the 50th day in a row. As a design leader, make sure that your team knows when a response is required. If the building is not burning, if the building isn't burning, why would you expect an immediate reply? And instead of sending a message at 12.45 a.m. that suits you because you prefer working at night, why not write it now, but schedule it to be sent the next morning? Communicating this way asynchronously lets your team work their best when they are at their best. Next, high stakes meetings. Now, a high stakes meeting is one where an ultimate decision has to be made. You know, it's those go or no go decisions, right? And your boss is there and your boss's boss is there too. And the people in this room tend to have strong opinions and loud voices. So as an introvert, what do you do? Now, I've been to a few of these high stakes meetings, a few, and I think that's a secret to them. And the secret is this. People who attend these meetings have most likely made up their minds already before the meeting itself. So the tactic here is to influence the outcome before the meeting, not during. Now let's think here about the audience for a second. High stakes meetings usually involve senior executives, right? And senior executives usually have more experience. Senior executives also tend to have more things to focus on and less time to make decisions. Also, 
very few single decisions would truly break a company. It's usually a series of poor decisions that will break a company. Therefore, by my own observation, senior executives would lean onto their prior experience in order to help them make decisions quickly. Once these decisions are solidified in their minds, in my experience, it's very hard to change them. So what do you do? Well, you have one-on-ones, hours, days, weeks, or even months before the meeting. How far in advance depends on how high the stakes are. The goal here is simple. You want to influence their thinking before they make up their minds. You get to explain your position, your rationale. You can also ask what they think. And if it's a one-on-one, -on -one, people are more open to being wrong or to say, I don't know. Think of it like steering a container ship. Now, I didn't know this before, but a container ship takes 20 minutes to come to a full stop. So if you want to change the course of a container ship, you have to start steering early, like really early. As a final point about meetings that I would like to make, you know, in the last three years of the COVID pandemic, I've never felt more seen or more heard compared to the last 18 years that I have worked in design. So whether you are on Zoom or Google Meets or WebEx, everybody else is on an equal playing field. People actually have to take turns to speak rather and speaking over one another just doesn't work anymore if you put in the practice into some of these techniques i can assure you you will be seen you will be heard switching gears team selection now when it comes to hiring i've always tried to hire for our team's weaknesses and as an introvert you are going to need some social butterflies. Work is a team sport, you know, and having social butterflies will help you build bridges across teams, across the company, and across our industry. And these connections will help extend the circles of influence and impact that we designers have on the work that we do. Now, it doesn't matter that working remotely makes it harder for butterflies to socialize. Butterflies will find a way to do what butterflies do. That's what they do. And it does not mean that every team member has to be a social butterfly. And it also doesn't absolve you, the design leader, from the need to actually build relationships. But you know what? It's certainly would not hurt if this trait came very naturally to some of your people. People that you can lean on when you have maxed out on social interactions. Next, choosing managers. In 2011, Wharton's Professor Adam Grant 
and his co-authors wanted to answer a very simple question. Do teams always operate more effectively under extroverted leadership? Their research concluded the following. If your team is made up of proactive members, then an introverted leader can get better results. If your team is made up of passive members, then an extroverted leader can get better results. And the reason is this, when you pair an extroverted leader with a proactive team, extroverted leaders can feel threatened as if their top-down vision was being questioned. And then they may be less receptive to proactive ideas. And consequently, team members become less proactive. On the other hand, introverted leaders tend to be more receptive to bottom-up ideas, more willing to listen if a better idea emerges. And then consequently, team members become more proactive. So when you are choosing a manager, think about your people and what kind of leader would help you get the best out of them. And now we turn our attention to social media. In our opinion, in my opinion, social media is a gift from the introvert gods. Now, before, public speaking was one of the best ways for us to broadcast our thoughts and ideas. But honestly, introverts, you know, we do not respond as well to public speaking as extroverts do. With social media, we introverts can reach across continents, across time zones, all on our own terms, from behind the safety of our screen. And at no time has social media have been more important for us than now. So if you wanted to argue with Jared's pool about why everyone is not a designer, just tweet him. All of a sudden, all of the people that we respect are right there at our fingertips. And if you are an introvert like me, a handful of deep, meaningful conversations means so much more than plenty of shallow, forgettable ones. And if these conversations happen in public channels, they represent your thought leadership. You are what you write, share, and tweet. What you say and how you say it will represent who you are. So how do you start having visibility and influence on social media if you are an introvert? Here are a few techniques. Find the people that you respect and follow who they follow. That's it. That's, that's the tweet. You know, birds of a feather, they flock together. Chances are high that people you respect actually follow others that they find interesting and respect as well. By following who they follow, you open yourself up to new ideas 
new people and new conversations that you have never had before. This opens up your thinking and your network. And one day, when you say that one thing that means the most to you, that someone that you respect might just follow you back. Not everything has to be a blog post. You know, people have this false expectation that if you want to be a thought leader, everything that you post has to be an essay, an article, a thesis, or a book. You know, the reality is that most of us simply do not have the time or the headspace for everything that we write to be long form. You can think of the content that you post in three sizes, small, medium, and large. And small might be liking or adding a comment to someone's post or offering your view. It might be retweeting or resharing a funny or thought-provoking meme that came up on your feed. Small is something that you can do in about a minute. Medium might be a review of an article that you read, and now you're resharing with your network, adding your perspective. Medium might also be an opinion that you have, and medium does not have to be long in length. It could be less than 160 characters. It could even be a two-minute video that you make. But medium takes more than a few minutes to shape. Bob Baxley, a prominent design leader previously from Apple and Pinterest, probably does this the best, dropping his pearls of wisdom once a day in a one or two paragraphs. And then finally, you have large, which is something that you can write long form. Now, by varying the size of the content that you make, you give yourself more options in the quantity of content that you can create without sacrificing the quality. Next, schedule your posts. If you are like me, moments of creativity do not happen on demand. You know, it happens in the morning when you are five minutes into a hot shower. It happens in the middle of the night at 3.45 a.m. for some reason when you wake up from a dream with the most awesome of ideas. Creativity, creativity comes in waves. And the last thing that you should do is to release all of that creativity at one go. Remember, to be visible and have reach on social media, what's more important is to have a cadence to how often you post. Instead of releasing all of the creativity in one go, schedule your posts. Create a backlog of content that you can schedule and post once a day or once a week. That way, the content that you create in one creative streak can last you weeks and months to come. And as a final point, I just want to talk about common limiting beliefs that I have heard about not sharing and not speaking up on social media. Some of the things that I've heard are, I don't have enough experience. You know, maybe once I've worked a little bit longer in this industry, people will pay attention. 
other things I've heard are like, you know, what I want to say has already been said before by other people. It's not new. You know, nobody's going to listen to what I'm going to say. Now, if what you have to say is true to you, is authentic, and comes straight from your heart, you will have an audience. There will be people out there who need to hear what you have to say. The best I can advice that I can give you is this. Your perspective is always unique and it's always interesting. You just have to say it. And now we arrive at every introvert's favorite activity, networking. Oh, how much do we introverts love networking? Networking is just one of those activities that magically combines all of the things that we introverts do not enjoy. And pre-COVID, or even right now, when you guys are watching this, it mostly happens like this. You arrive in a room full of strangers, right? You grab a drink and you then you stand awkwardly on the side, quietly scanning the room, hoping that somebody will make eye contact with you. And then you see others just like you, you know, scattered around the perimeter, but you dread having to make small talk again. So you just stand there with your drink in hand and then you stare at your phone. Now, clearly, networking doesn't come naturally to me. And since we're working remote, you know, I no longer have to make excuses not to attend networking events anymore. Nonetheless, I knew that it was important as a leader to extend a network. For me, the uh, goal of networking is resourcefulness. It is to grow the pool of people that I know who I can help and who can help me. It's something that I needed to do to become a better leader. So how do you network when you're working remotely, when networking events might not happen? Here are a few techniques. Do your pre-work about attendees that you would like to meet. Now, some events like meetups and conferences, they've gone virtual. And virtual events still have a list of attendees. Go through the list, pick out people that you would like to meet. You can look them up online and you can say hi to them on Twitter or LinkedIn. With virtual conferences like this one or hybrid conferences, it has never been easier to network on your own terms. Next, always be networking methodically and consistently. Extroverts gain energy when they interact with people. Introverts like myself, we lose energy, even if the conversations are interesting and stimulating. The trick here is you have to be consistent and methodical with your networking. Have a system. 
You know, you could spend 15 minutes of your morning serendipitously stumbling onto people on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can reach out to them. You can join the conversation. You can talk to them about something that they posted online recently. If you are keen and the conversation goes well, you can exchange direct messages or catch up one-on-one -on, -one on the video call. By being methodical and consistent, you do not leave networking to chance. And for me, 15 minutes every morning is less draining compared to one hour circulating in a room full of strangers once a month. Also, don't just network with people who can help you. Reach out to people that you can help too. Now, more than ever, people need all the help that they can get. You can review their portfolios or CVs. You can share stories of how you have adapted to remote working. To those that have lost their jobs during COVID, make introductions to others in your network. Our design community has never failed to surprise me how willing we are each able to help or willing to help. You get to meet new people. You get to keep passing the goodwill forward. And then one day, you will get to say, hey, I know someone who can help you with that. Let me introduce you. This next technique is a bit of a Jedi mind trick. What if when you were networking, you pretended it's user research? Now, by pretending that it's user research, a collection of strangers in the room suddenly turns into opportunities to learn about people. Who are they? What do they do? Why are they here? What do they want to get out of this event? Maybe I can help them. Maybe they can help me. Now, through this lens, small talk questions come naturally. Just remember not to ask questions all the time because it would feel like an interrogation rather than a conversation. When networking, have some measurable output. It might be exchanging contact details or adding a person on LinkedIn or Twitter. Remember, the goal is to become more resourceful by growing the pool of people that you know. You can't do that if you don't know how to contact the person again when you need them. So you've made all of this effort, right? You've made all of this effort networking to get to know this one person. In fact, you actually genuinely like this person. They are someone you can see yourself hanging out with. Interesting people will probably know other interesting people that you should meet. So why stop at one? When networking, do not stop at one. Ask your new connection to introduce you to two other people that you should meet and you can do the same. Next, have an exit script. Sometimes conversations just come to a natural end. You know, we run out of things to talk about. What you must know is that this is totally okay. 
rather than awkward silences, have an exit script so that you can leave and start another conversation with somebody else. More interesting. Even when you're doing this networking virtually. Practice, practice, practice your exit script and repeat it until it comes naturally. And it can sound something like this, right? Hey, John, you know, it's really nice to chat with you. It feels like we got a lot in common. Are there two other interesting people that you know that I should speak to? Could you introduce me? I'm happy to do the same. And who says networking has to be a group activity? Now, more than ever, video calls are the new normal. Reach out to people that you would like to meet and arrange for a catch up to talk shop. One-on-ones are a great way to get to know someone better. In closing, I want to bring our attention back to Susan Cain's talk and the extrovert ideal. The world may continue to favor extroverts as leaders, but I hope that I've convinced you that we introverts have our place as effective leaders as well. This talk, it was never intended to be introverts versus extroverts. I think that we all have a role to play. And I hope that the techniques I shared with you can be put to good use by introverts and introverts, introverts and extroverts alike. Introversion is not a flaw. Introversion is not a disability. It's a superpower. And I hope you will let your superpower shine. Thank you.